fool drinking my hot cafe mocha reading the Talmud the other day. Oh, yeah. And do your dirty work of going and complaining to yeah. somebody for you ain't going to happen. No. I'm feeling like the third bird dog. <laughs> you, you have baby. to be excommunicated uh-huh. to get a relationship. And, and stuck in a basement. This message sucks. stinks. <laughs> What's There's it? explicit there right go. there. Welcome to the club of the initiated man. You better not be recording this or I'm never walking with you again. Oh, there we are. we got a sassy brunette. You know, do something. Do, do something. anything, but just don't sit there. Hey, don't you have something better to do? You've stumbled on the Invisible Humanitarian Podcast from Prince Edward Island on the east coast of Canada, where we discuss hiking, culture, life, theology, running, stories, West Africa, books, you name it. All right, this is Andy Rayner with Gordon Weatherby, and we are going live during the COVID-19 apocalypse. Uh, we're in extreme isolation, and Gordon and I are on Skype just trying to survive, and we hope that everyone else there, all of our, our millions of fans all over the world, that you're coping well. So uh, thank you for tuning in today. So Gordon, good to have you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, this is my friend Gordon Weatherby. Um, we're on Skype, so if we have a few uh, quality issues, there, there is heavy demand on the bandwidth. Just ignore that. It's just the way it's going to be. But uh, my friend Gordon Weatherby, uh, we met back in, well, I was going to say we met at Maritime Christian College, but he, uh, I'll, I'll step back a bit. He's from Deer Island in New Brunswick, and we first uh, started getting to know one, one another when we attended college together. You remember that, Gordon, at Maritime Christian College? He was a Very senior. well. Yeah, you were a senior. What year were you in when I started, Gordon? Do you remember? Well, I started in 1980, so whatever that would be, I think about three or four years before you got there, maybe. Or... Yeah, yeah, I think so. I was, I'm was. i thinking you were on your fourth year, probably. You did a five-year BTH or something as well, too, so you were there, what, five, six years? Yes, I, I'd taken a year off in the middle of it there and so that uh, kind of made it a little bit longer but yeah yeah i did the same thing if you remember the year uh, lynn and i got married after my second year took a year off anyway lots of fun but i i, I want to tell the story G- gordon how tall are you gordon six four yeah he's six foot four his shoulders are almost as wide as that so like six foot four across his shoulders and uh, i can remember sitting in my home church and uh, the choir crew from maritime christian college were around visiting churches and, and recruiting students anyway they were they were doing their program the whoever in the in the in the college choir that was leading the worship services and we're going to call on gordon weatherby to lead us in prayer and i remember that you were in the front pew and you stood up, but when you stood up, you didn't stop. You kept going up and up and up and up. And I remember, I remember watching you stand up and saying, oh my gosh, what, what a big man you were. And Gordon has, uh, has got this big, deep, deep barrel voice. And, uh, and he stood up and he turned around and he said, let us pray. And the whole church... <laughs> Church reverberated, and and uh, that was the first time I ever remember uh, meeting you, Gordon, and hearing your voice. And uh, and and that well, how many years ago is that? Thirty thirty eight years ago now. That well, somewhere's around there. Yeah, yeah. That, that first time I preached at Green Mount, it was an experience for sure. There because I I uh, used to use those green breath mint. <laughs> And uh, I remember after preaching, I don't think anyone heard a thing I ever had to say there at the church that Sunday there, because afterwards everyone came to me after the service and said, do you realize you have a green tongue? (laughs) So... (laughs) 
<laughs> I I remember that the big green Clorette's tongue. Eh? Yeah. Oh gosh. Oh, it was funny though. I no, I I remember it was a good sermon. I of course that long ago. I don't remember the details, but I'll tell you, your voice was uh, it always has been commanding and uh, great. Anytime you MC stuff and uh, leading stuff at church, is no trouble here in Gordon Weatherby. I can remember my mom saying uh, he he's now on the island. Uh, we we actually ministered together uh, in New Brunswick. Uh, he was back in his home church there for a while, and uh, I was in a church nearby on the mainland. But uh, now he's uh, actually preaching at my home church, plus uh, in Greenmount here in Prince Edward Island, and another church in O'Leary, uh, doing the two of them together. And I can remember my mom saying, "What Gordon, when you, I don't know if it was when you came to try out or if it was your first Sunday here, you stood up in the pulpit and they had the microphone on and you just took the back of your hand and pushed it off to one side. I'll not be needing that. And she said, and he didn't need it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I told you that story before. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, uh, so Gordon grew up in Deer Island, Fishing Island. Uh, tell tell us about uh, growing up in Deer Island. What was it like? Well, I mean, it's a lovely little uh, small community and all, and certainly fishing community and all. Although I I wasn't too much in the fishing industry, I'd have been in the salmon farming for a while. In fact, I'd have been in the the first agriculture site in North America, worked there for a little while. And then later on, in Sam, I had a offshore fish work there in more recent years. And then in between, there were several years I worked on the ferries. Yeah. Now I worked on the, on the Eastport, the Campobello Ferry, and also the government ferry going from Deer Island to Latine. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, you, you you told me a funny story about the, uh, I don't know, it was the Eastport or Campobello Ferry. There's, there was uh, those things on top of the boats they used to use when they were pumping out the wares and oh, it, yeah, it would yeah. separate the herring and, and uh, tell us the story about the tourist uh uh what you or what he what you told him there after he made fun of you well first off i guess i gotta explain what the ferry looked like to anyone who hadn't seen it there because it's a, it's basically a barge that would be towed usually by a fishing boat or a tugboat something along that line anyway this particular summer it was a it was a, a pumper there uh, uh, for pumping the sardines out, and they would uh, had the particular boat was a scale boat that had the uh, they would separate the scales off the herring or the sardines, and they made big and money the, on the scales. The, yeah, yeah, that was a big industry there for the mother of pearl. There, they were pearl mm -hmm. essence, mother of pearl. They would use that for the shine, and like well, it used to be used in the finger nail polish or in some jewelry or mm -hmm. in the paint on a car to give it a shine. But now everything's all artificial and no longer use that. But at that time, that was what it was for. But anyway. Uh, we had the pumper on there, and some of the tourists could ask me about it and what it was for, so I tried to explain it out to them as best best I could, and every one of them that day called me a liar. <laughs> uh, so then with that, I proceeded to give them the best story I could, and so I told them that down there in the bay that it gets, there's times that the sun beating down in the water that it just gets unbearably hot, and so that there were a few boats like ours that had this... Uh, condenser unit on top of the boat and uh, if it got too terribly hot the government had contracted us out and that we would <laughs> pump the salt water up through the condenser and pump it out into the air to make fog to cool it off <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so they all thanked me and said finally you've told us the truth oh. so thereafter i had told them they called me a liar so. <laughs> oh my gosh gordon <laughs> That's just so good. Oh, man. No, well, actually, it was funny when I went to work on the ferry the first time there, because I was, it's the only job I've ever hi had that I was hired for my weight. Oh, is that right? Because you, you could pull pull the, pull the stuff and move it. Well, no, it wasn't yeah. that. It was no. that uh, 
the gangs or ramps to get on the ferry. It was just older ramps going down natural, uh, like a steel frame with wooden right. planks on it. And uh, then to get it up, it would be counterbalanced with a, an arm on the other end. And there was full of old, uh, a number of old steel shafts there from fishing boats and whatnot. And uh, there were two or three uh, lead weight <laughs> belt there from divers and all yeah. and so basically i had to stand on it and pull down to get it up so i was hired for my weight oh. but it, it, it was kind of a, a strange feeling though when i get replaced on that boat a few years later with a couple bags of cement but. oh well there you go no well you did more than that so that's hilarious yeah now how big is deer island how long and wide so our, our listeners know well, I think the old scale, and but in the old scale, it would be about nine miles long, about three miles wide. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and a ferry, a ferry coming across from New Brunswick, uh, Latite, New Brunswick, ferry on the other end of the island that goes down to the states, and it went to where, Gordon? Uh, used to go to Eastport, Maine. That ferry no longer is in service. hasn't yeah. run for about three or four years now. And and then the the other one, the one I was on most of the years I was there, would have been the Campobello Ferry uh, going to Campobello, New Brunswick, which yeah. most are familiar with because of the Roosevelt Cottage there. Right, right, yeah. You went to school in the mainland. Did you go to elementary school in the mainland too, Gordon, or just high school? No, I, I would have gone to the end of grade nine on Deer Island and then went to Fundy High School in St. George there. And uh, uh, that was... That was an interesting scene there because there was there's a good many times, I'm going to say probably about a third to half the time, the first thing we had to do when we get to school was uh, go into the office and get a tardy slip because a lot of times the ferry would be late or so and we'd get there 5, 10, 15 minutes <laughs> late. Yeah. And then once in a while, because of high winds or something, they would uh, send us home early or so too, which yeah. made us the envy of the others at the school and everything. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, they probably thought you were getting preferential treatment or whatever. Well, that's right. And then there were a couple of times when the ferry broke down that we had to come home on fishing boats. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was a little bit of, if I, I, it's been a while since I've been over there, but would it be about a 15-minute sail from the island to the mainland, Gordon, with the ferries? I know the modern ones. I don't know what it would have been back then. Well, probably about 20, 25 minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I know you weave through these little islands there to get out to Deer Island. And uh, I just encourage everybody to look it up on a map anyway. Uh, it, it's a great experience if you're ever driving through uh, New Brunswick. I always, I have always told people, like a lot of people wanted to go to Grand Manan, beautiful island and everything else. But, you know, it's a lot longer sail, a lot longer commitment of time and stuff. And I always tell people uh, to go to Deer Island, a 20, 25 minute crossing. Uh, it's a little short island. You can do a loop on the whole thing and be back off and you basically get the same experience as Grand Manan at half the cost, half the time if you don't have the time input. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, you, you were telling me that when you were going to school that you, you had a, a side gig that you were making well, money I at. I had a, a few, few side gigs. I uh, would go sell cards throughout the week there for Regal Stationery and make money from that. And on the uh, weekends, I, I had a canteen set up at the movie theater and would uh, steam hot dogs there and have bars and chips and things to sell them, make money. And then uh, through the week in high school, I would have a canteen set up on the school bus. Uh, <laughs> you no. said you were pulling down big cash too. Well, actually, that's the wealthiest I've ever been. I mean, it wasn't big money. It was at the time in high school, it was $125 a week I was earning, but it was clear profit with no expense. I mean, I've, I've had more money than that most times since, but never with no expense, just straight yeah. spending money. Oh, yeah. You, boy, you, you, you should have been an entrepreneur, I guess, Gordon. I don't know. Well, where where, oh, where did that fork on no. you? <laughs> no, on the school bus. Like I say, I had the front seat of the school bus reserved for me, and I would add a great big toolbox there and yeah. had that filled full of bars and 
bars and pop and Italian sandwiches and things I'd make up and sell them on the school bus there. And uh, oh, then when we'd great. get in the line for the ferry, some of the ferry crew quite often would come out to get a lunch or so and <laughs> buy it. Some. And, wow. and sometimes even some of the people in the line for the ferry would come up on the school bus to get something. Isn't, so. isn't that great? Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, well, back then, the, the big big industry was, uh, was the sardines. Was that the biggest industry at that time, Gordon? Tell us about where. Uh, yeah, the where's. sardines and the salmon farming was coming on to there. I was, yeah. in, like I say, I was involved in the late 70s in the salmon farming there, the agriculture. And, and like I say, the site I was on there in Richardson Harbor would have been the first agriculture site in North America. There was uh, now there's hundreds, or well, I wouldn't say hundreds, but it's quite a number of them yeah. all around New Brunswick, Nova Scotia. And I think here, even on PEI, there's some halibut somewhere here that's yeah. being done that way. And yeah, no, and uh, t- tell them about the uh, herring wares uh, uh, and and what's happened to that industry. Uh, there's a few wares left and all, but the 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 old traditional sardine industry it's pretty much gone now. It's it's nothing like it used to be at one time. That was the mainstay around the islands and uh, big money in it and a lot of industry. But I mean, there have been I don't know how many boats and wares there. Mm. I mean, there was a time when when every cove and every inlet around yeah. had a ware or two in it. And now there might be well, I I think um, I think like between Deer Island, Campobello, and Grand Manan right now, the three of them and up the shore there, there might be maybe I don't know what I'm guessing maybe ten fifteen wares if that were so might have been a hundred or. Mm more at one time and yeah but i mean it was a big big area for fish at one time i mean there was uh yeah. there have been different sardine factories on deer island and all but uh but like at one time in the eastport and between eastport and lubeck maine there was something like 25 30 factories in that area there between uh, sardines yeah. and can factory and candy factory and all those things and now the whole thing's gone there yeah i remember when even when we moved over to new brunswick uh there used to be a wear even at that time practically every cove and the last time i was over there like you could see the re- remnants of the poles because they drive the poles in the mud and and you, you know if our listeners look it up the fish end up getting in there and they end up uh, because of the design they end up swimming into a circle and and don't get out because of their natural instinct but anyway so they drive the poles and put the nets in and and uh, these poles are all gone and these coves where there was always herring or, herring or sardine wares are gone. Yes, and then, uh, so there was always that, and then like another industry, side industry, from would have been the fertilizer plant there. Now there used to be a fertilizer plant on Deer Island, and uh, I know my grandfather ran the scoot boat for years there on that, and uh, would pick up the heads and tails there, the cuttings off the fish there from the sardine factory in Campobello, and sail them to Deer Island, and then they would be ground up into fertilizer there, which wow. it made a lot of jobs, but I, I think in some ways people weren't too sad when it they took it out of there and moved it all to blacks there because there was wherever you were in the village, you could smell the stink of it as yeah. the fertilizer plant was uh, drying out and burning and grinding all the fish and everything. I mean, like I say, from one end of the village to the other, you could smell that when I was a kid. And yeah. So certainly no one misses that, although the money and the income is a sad thing to see gone from it. Yeah, no, I know when we lived there, uh, Black's Harbor, my gosh, uh, you know, it, it had a unique smell 24 hours a day all year long. Oh, like that. Yeah, Connors Brothers. That that when I was there, like I know I I don't think there was any sardine businesses left uh, packing on Deer Island. Might have been, but but it was Connors Brothers was the was running everything then. Well, Connors Brothers owns everything now, and uh, I mean there were a lot of them down the main coast and uh, in Canada, both here in the Maritimes, and I think right now the only plant that's even left is in Black Harbor. 
Yeah, and Brunswick sardines, they were always one of the best ones in the world, for sure. I know I, I always go to the shelf and pick them off. Well, the ones I preferred were the ones from Deer Island. They're the, the Haven Key Goods, spiced key goods. They were a special uh, one that they made just down home, but had uh, pickling spice in them and things, and they were exceptionally good. It was just a local market. Other than the locals, most people couldn't buy them or even find them, but uh, right. they were really delicious, those ones. Yeah. You grew up in uh, Lord's Cove Church? Church of Christ. Yes, well, I would have originally been in the Baptist Church in Fairhaven, and then when my mother got remarried, then uh, she moved to the Cove, and so mm-hmm. from the time, well, that would have been when I was about eight years old, and from then on would have been part of the Church of Christ. Yeah, who, who were your ministers in those days, Gordon? Well, I guess at Lord's Cove, the first one I would remember would be uh, Donnie Stevenson, who many on the island here would know him. He's from Frederick and PEI. They're Paul Stevenson's brother. Right. Then uh, I think probably the next one would be Dale Einan, and then there's Paul Carson, and then Dale Einan came again. I'm trying to think who was next. Uh, I can't can't remember now. There were a number of different ones who came after that, too, and all, but those would have been some of the earlier ones when I was a kid, anyway. Yeah. uh, Is is there, uh, not to pick favorites, but was was there one that particularly impacted you around the time that you started considering going to Maritime Christian College for ministry? Well, I think absolutely, and it wasn't just one minister either. There were several. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when I look back, many of the key people who have been in my life, role models and things, have been ministers, church leaders, and so forth. Uh, uh, now, like, uh, I mean, really my whole life I've been impacted by ministers in the church. I mean, like I remember when I was probably six, seven years old there, when I was still in the Baptist church, that the Baptist minister, he had tried to teach me to skate there, because he was an old man at the time, up in his 70s or so, and uh, when I fell down, I, I took him with me and broke his glasses on the ice. Oh, my gosh, and all. Yeah. No, a lot of the different leaders and ministers like that were had a big influence on me. Uh, Dale Einan is one I always respected, and uh, he was a big influence in my life. And uh, and then uh, my youth group leader and uh, Sunday school teacher for a number of years was Dougie Stewart, and again he was another man I'd respected quite a bit. And uh, and yeah, I mean I then out to the camp there would be. Uh, Certainly Dave Haddon and Jeff Conley and some like that who were were people I looked up to at the time and all. And so so certainly there's been, I can't say there's any one in particular that had an impact, but my whole life I've been in the church and have been influenced by church leaders and by ministers and and so forth. Yeah, no, some of those names. I know Doug Stewart was an elder when I was in Latita. He was still an elder in that church then, so... And of course, Dale Ian and, uh, and well, a lot of those names uh, you mentioned, I knew, but how did you find out about Maritime Christian College? And, and then when did you make the decision, this is what I need to do? Well, I guess I'd known about Maritime Christian College for a few years. The college would come every year and everything. Really, when I, I first went to Maritime Christian College in fall of 1980, it wasn't really intentionally planning for the ministry. Basically, to be honest, at the time, I had a uh, I had applied to Holland College in Charlottetown for their motel, restaurant, resort management course, and I'd been accepted into that and was uh, had all intentions of going in the fall of 1980 to take that course. And then about three weeks or so before I was supposed to go go off to the, the college, I uh, received a letter from Holland College there after I'd already been accepted saying that uh, they'd put a new policy into effect that all PEI students would have priority in oh, that boy. course. So that was... That was one of the most popular courses, so I was uh, I'd previously been accepted and then had been kind of put well, out of the course. Well, so I, oh, uh, gosh. My, my initial 
reasoning in going to Maritime Christian College was basically to go to Maritime Christian College for one year and then apply again to Holland College as a resident of PEI. Oh. Uh, so, uh, so that was kind of the plan. But then another thing that happened uh, that I think would have had an impact on me moving me towards the ministry was uh, a few months before that, in uh, December 79, my sister was killed in a car accident. There, a drunk driver had hit the car broadside. They were, they were wow. on their way up to St. John Christmas shopping. And so I, I think that was certainly a big thing that had an impact on me. And uh, How, old, how uh, old was your sister, Gordon? She'd have been 16 there. She was a year less a week younger than me. Wow. So that was certainly another thing. And, and, and then, like that first year I was at MCC, I was kind of half thinking along that line, but I was still resisting it and not wanting to admit to anyone that I was going to for the ministry or anything. And I think kind of a turning point that year was, uh, I, I don't know when it was now, it was in March or April or so of that year, a number of us went down to uh, First Baptist Church in Charlottetown one night to a concert. There was uh, uh, The group was Lost Tower, I think it was. They were a, a Spanish group from Bolivia. And uh, one of the men there had given his testimony that night. And I remember hearing that and of the the battle that he had in making a decision to uh, go in the ministry, how much he'd fought it and everything. And uh, I guess I, as I listened to him, I thought that his story sounded so much like mine with the fighting yeah. to go into it and everything and the resistance of it and, and all. And it was, I think, probably the next day that I made the announcement to my roommate at the time and to some of the others that I was going to go into the ministry. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, Mr. Norris would have been one of your professors, the founder of the, the school at that time. He was, and he was, he was again, another man I've respected a lot through the years, and uh, he was one who, uh, well, I think he did everything he could in his power to push me into the ministry, because uh, he knew I had strong voice and lungs and everything, and, and a presence kind of from the pulpit type thing, and I think he uh, he was trying his best to encourage me to go into it and everything, and uh, oh, just on a humorous note on it here, my grandmother, she'd always been a, a big influence in my life, and I remember several times as a kid, uh, she would make the comment, Gordon, you've got to be a preacher because you're too clumsy to be anything else. Oh my <laughs> gosh, oh, that's hilarious, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, who baptized you before we get any further? Uh, uh, who, who's the guy that baptized you into Christ? That was Dale Inan there on the 22nd of April out in the Bay of Fundy yeah. there. And, and that's a humorous story too, because yeah. I've always been big. I'd have been about 11 years old at that time. Right. And uh, we went down and was he I, he dunked me under, baptized me. And uh, then as he was coming up uh, between my size and him stepping in a dip in the beach, he dropped me, so dropped me down for a second... <laughs> Second time in the water. So, so you were you were the guy that everybody remembers that needed the second dip. That's right. I had the second dip. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, that's hilarious! Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I probably I should have joined you. I was such a scoundrel, rascal myself. Anyway, yeah. No. Well, I remember. Uh, remember, tell us the story about the time Mister Norris told you you should pound the pulpit more often. Oh, yes. Uh, um, yeah, he, he said, Gordon, you have a good presence in the pulpit, but you need to pound the pulpit now and then to get your point across. So the next time up, I, I gave a good pound of the pulpit and the top came off the pulpit and went flying across the room. And so he never asked me again to uh, to pound the pulpit. So. Oh, my gosh. He, so so Gordon Weatherby, uh, we, you've got the guy on this show that pounded a pulpit so hard as he's preaching, he broke the top off of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's another story though uh, about pounding the pulpit. Uh, something about the pins. 
in your watch? The pin. Oh, well, there was another time I'd done it, and the pins in the watch popped out, and my watch went flying across the room. <laughs> he hit the pulpit with his, his hand and snapped the pins in the watch. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I remember that. So, uh, you're, uh, anyway, you uh, graduated. To, well, I guess you graduated. I, I took my year off when I married Lynn. Uh, when I came back, you, you had graduated and uh, were serving in Nova Scotia. Where was, where was your first first ministry? Well, the first ministry would, well, well, even before my first official one, every summer after the first summer, I would preach supplying in the churches of Charlotte County. They're the Baptist and Church of Christ, a number of them. And uh, right. uh, then while I was going to college, I would have I had a small weekend ministry down in River John, Nova oh, Scotia. I forgot and, about uh, that. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, well, I remember one time there we had uh, Libby Gowdy there. Libby McKay, she was at that time over with us. And uh, they had an old pump organ there at the church. And I, <laughs> I remember was, that. I think. One of the hymns we had was Amazing Grace, and I had to do all six verses. And uh, uh, Libby said afterwards, don't ever do that to me again, Gordon. Let me at least get some exercise to get in shape if you're going to have that many verses. And an old pump organ. Yeah, I remember we went over there on, uh, on, for MCC one time, and uh, and Tabitha Amaro, there was, um, she she was playing the piano, and she couldn't even pump it because it, it would just kind of go, ooh, ooh. The sound would reverberate and go up and down in oh, volume okay. because she couldn't pump it consistently or fast enough and at one point before the service uh, somebody said well why, why don't you just get somebody to pump it while you play and there was one person sitting on the floor pumping it up from down underneath with their feet while she was up playing and then they just decided Libby said we're not doing this <laughs> so. that reminds me of when I was down in Southville in Nova Scotia they, were, yeah, they he, had me a couple times go down to they call it the Norwood Church They're down in Norwood Nova Scotia just outside of Yarmouth and uh, it's a church that's completely closed other than 10 weeks every summer and each week they'd have a different group in there'd be that we were there one week and then the baptist church another week and i think the quakers had a service one week and a few other groups but there was a church that had an old pump organ but somebody had uh, had re rebuilt it so they had an electrolux vacuum cleaner in a box connected with the hose going into the organ and so to play the organ you had to turn on the vacuum cleaner to pump the air into it and and so the whole time you were playing and singing you could hear this vacuum cleaner playing in the background oh my gosh <laughs> that's so that's so hilarious oh my gosh well uh, so uh, Southville uh, we kind of jumped on Southville uh, was your first uh, where's Southville Gordon that is uh, just outside of Weymouth, Nova Scotia there. Uh, uh, I'd have been there for three years. That was my first full-time church there in 86. And, and actually, even before that, in 1985, when I'd taken that year off, I'd served as the interim pastor for five or six months with the, the two Baptist churches on Deer Island. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you had yeah you had a quite a bit of a church, church experience before you took your full, first full-time ministry then, yeah. Yes. So uh, if you re- I don't know if you remember, uh, Lynn and I came over to visit you when you were in Southville. You, they had that uh, brand new parsonage they had they built at that time. And uh, we had planned to come over. We were just uh, newly married. That was my uh, year off of college and uh, didn't go back like that would have, would have been my third year. And we had planned to come and we were excited about it. We talked to you about it before Christmas or whatever else. And it was late in the, you know, I don't remember. It was, uh, you know, like, like April or something like that. And uh, we were going to come over to see you for a few days. And we woke up in the morning. We had the biggest snowstorm you could imagine. We couldn't, I was, we couldn't even get out the driveway. We tried and got the car stuck. And, and I come back in the house and I called you and I said, Gordon, we can't come over. And you said, oh, 
why? And I said, we're, I said, I said, I can't even get the car out the driveway. So it's just a storm howling here. And he goes, oh, there's beautiful sunshine over here. And uh, just as you said that the uh, snow plow went by. And I said, well, if oh, okay. I can get out the, uh, the driveway, we're, we're on our way. And I can remember we had our winter coats and boots on and everything. And uh, we got to Halifax and it was beautiful sun, prob probably about 17 or 18 degrees. And people were looking at us with our big winter boots and jackets on when we get out, stop somewhere for a coffee there. They thought we were absolutely crazy. Yeah. And so after uh, Southfield, uh, where did you go, Gordon? Well, after Southfield, I went back home and was uh, uh, there for a while. I... Uh I moved home in August, and then uh, uh, in August of that year, I went back to work on the ferry there in August and September until that closed down. And then in uh, October, I went. Uh, I was hired on by the churches, the the church in Lord Scove, there, my home church, and yeah. was there for a few years. So. Yeah, well, you're like me. Uh, both of us uh, worked at our home churches for a while, which is not really that common for a lot of people, really. You know. No, there's most don't. There's a there's a few who have, but uh, yeah. it's not as common as could be, I guess. And, yeah, yeah, no, I I started a part-time ministry at my home church uh, when I got back from West Africa after working there for five years anyway, so. So uh, now now he's uh, back on the island, and uh, he's at my home church and at O'Leary, and uh, quite quite a transition for you, because uh, you, you ended up uh, at Burt's, not, not Burt's Corner, uh, Doran Ridge, to tell tell the people where Dorn that Ridge, is, yeah, yeah, no. a little bit about the church there, and, and, uh, and uh, where it was, and what made it struggle because of where it was, if you don't mind sharing some of that. Sure. Well, actually, Dorn Ridge was not a place I'd ever intended on going. When I went there, I uh, basically what had happened was after I uh, I left the church at Lord's Cove, I worked for six months there with offshore fish there on Deer Isle and their salmon farming. Then when uh, when I got laid off there for the winter, it was to the place that I didn't figure I could afford to live on unemployment. So we moved back up to Fredericton there and uh, went there. And then as a supplement my in to unemployment, then I uh, was preaching at Dorn Ridge, and it was supposed to be just for that winter. And uh, twenty some years later, then I was still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but no, Dornridge was. It was a lovely little church. The doors, unfortunately, are closed now. It closed here five years ago, and uh, that's uh, yeah. It must have been hard. Always a sad thing, but it's uh, it's one of those churches that I wish each one could ever have the opportunity to be in and yeah. uh, to be a part of, because it's uh, it's uh, just a quiet little community. It's out on a dirt road. Uh, like I said, different ones. They asked where it was, and I said, "Go to Bert's Corner and get lost." Yeah, uh, and, and that's basically the size of it. Is it was out in the woods, there, oh. about seven miles from Bert's Corner. Yeah, on a dirt seven. road, like way out. It used to. It almost seemed like a logging road, like not not a highly used road either. Well, I mean, the I was on the main road, but it was. Uh, uh, about another mile after my place, the main road ended, and it was uh, just Irving roads going through all through there. And although yeah. it was kind of annoying because mm -hmm. it was, it was I think nine kilometers the road from Bert's Corner to my place, and halfway out the pavement ended. Yeah. And uh, one of the problems was is that in the winter where where the pavement ended, many times that's where the plowing ended there because they would, I mean they would oh. plow the, my end of the road, but but it would be. Uh, They'd do it once for probably every three or four times that they would plow and salt and sand the other end of the road. Oh. And, uh, so it'd get kind of frustrating mm. there and all, because I, I know many times I plowed snow on my end of the road there with a the car and get yeah. out to the pavement and it all plowed and salted and mm. sanded. But, uh, yeah. but it was a, 
it was a lovely little church. It was a, a many ways a family church and a very yeah. close knit group in the there and yeah. uh, a very very loving group there and uh, yeah. uh, lots of people from that church. The Krauss family. I remember was it Bert, Bertus Krauss or Bert? Krauss? What was his name? Gordon. Yep. Burtis, Burtis yeah, and, and uh, some of their yeah, some of their family. The yeah, and his kids are off. Uh, we're serving in other churches and helping other churches as leaders and members. And was, yes, you know, he has uh, has uh, some sons. That one is down in Montana, and one is in uh, I think in the Burt's Corner area. And then uh, his third son, I think, is in the Fredericton area, but I'm not certain of that. Yeah, yeah, no, great folks. I remember. So that that uh, that was actually your longest ministry, the one that you didn't plan to. It wasn't really even. Well, I mean, you know, it was full time work, but I mean, it was never full time pay with a small rural church like that. But uh, no, but many years long... when I was there, I had to supplement my income with other jobs yeah. and all. I'd I'd worked at uh, different jobs. I'd worked. Uh, at the co-op there in the Vanier in Fredericton for a while. And I worked at, uh, oh, I worked at uh, Precision Metal Works and Precision Nuclear Incorporated. And uh, I can't think where all else. Uh, oh, up, I worked as, in a sawmill up there in Keswick Ridge. And, yeah, yeah, I did a jack of all trades there trying to make things go. It shows your dedication to the church because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, rather than trying to juggle two two different lives and two different incomes to make it work, they just say, oh, I'm going to go take a full-time church somewhere, you know, and and uh, well, you made it work. Thing. You made it work, Gordon. Yeah, and then another job I would have done when I was up there was working in the funeral home. There was an assistant funeral director and all. And Yeah, wow. <laughs> And that was the one that would get a lot of comments because when I was on call there, I'd have to sleep in at the funeral home because they had a had an apartment there. And uh, but when I would say that to different ones, there, I'd have to sleep in there. When I was at work, you could just see the color drain out of people's faces. <laughs> you mean you'd sleep in a funeral home? Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, so how did you end up uh, coming to the island? Uh, uh, how how many years have you been here? I've been here three and a half years, and uh, and actually, I had pretty much given up on the ministry when I came here, because uh, I'd applied to a number of churches, and more and more, I was getting comments such as, well, we're looking for a younger man, or yeah. and, then, and then there were some couple of churches that I'd kind of heard that indirectly, they would prefer somebody from the United States than Canada, and uh, so it was, uh, wow. I, I'd applied to a number of churches, and there was just no doors opening up, so I'd given up on the ministry, and and uh, I didn't even realize these churches were open. It was, uh, no, when I came here, it was in August of 2016. There was a message one day on my Facebook uh, wall there said, uh, well, Rankin McKinnon here had sent it. And he said, Gordon, Green Mountain O'Leary, need a minister, give me a call. Wow. And uh, so so even before I got back to him, the rumor spread throughout all the Maritimes that I was the new minister over here, even even when I hadn't got back to him or hadn't applied or anything else. <laughs> the rumor mill got ahead of you, Gordon. But it was, yeah. it was looking back, it was unbelievable how quick it was in coming here. Cause, yeah. uh, I, I mean, he had called me, I think that was mid-late August there in 2016, Randy Thurlow, his last sermon was, I think, the first Sunday of September in 2016. I tried out the second Sunday of September. They voted on me on the third Sunday of September, and I moved over the Tuesday after Thanksgiving. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they were they were ready for you, Gordon. They were they definitely were ready for you. No, that's good. I, 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 it's it's been a joy to have you have you in our community. I know that uh, just having somebody uh, or you. Or, or I posted on my Facebook feed the other day. Uh, of course, with this coronavirus, and we're all trying to survive this and in, uh, in our isolation. But uh, he uh, Gordon had posted a communion meditation um, on uh, Facebook feed live there on the Greenmount Church of Christ uh, feed, and I, I assume that was on the O'Leary Church of Christ feed too, Gordon. Yes, and, it was. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, it was a five six minute message, and boy, I'll tell you, yeah, it was it was uh, it was simple, not in the sense of uh, simplistic. It was it was very powerful. I, I sure appreciated the the meditation you put up there. Anyway, so. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, you know what? Wasn't that fun? Uh, we we able to, we got we got to pass some time today. Uh, you're isolated home in the house all by yourself for how long now? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> Going to be a while, I think. Yeah, I know. I, I suppose you want to share on here one more story of you and I when we were in college. Oh, no stories about that man. No, no, there's no stories <laughs> to tell. <laughs> What's that story you going to tell? Well, I, I was uh, thinking of the time we broke Minnie's couch. Oh no! How did we do that? <laughs> we were wrestling. No, or Andy and I were wrestling there at the college one night, oh, and uh, we used to do so that quite often. We'd wrestle quite a bit. There, he, uh, there were times that Andy would do his best to get my goat, and also we'd wrestle. And so this one night, I picked him up and threw him across the room, and he landed on the couch. Yeah. And when he did, the leg snapped off the couch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that was a good crash anyway. And, and uh, remember, we uh, went down down to the base and found a couple of bricks and tried to prop it up or something. And well, uh, that was uh, that was a big conspiracy because that was yeah. Minnie's own furniture, and uh, <clears throat> I remember John McDonald was there and a few others, and we were all trying to keep this from Minnie and so John was there and some others and took and glued and nailed it on <laughs> the legs back on and we yeah. did it and glued everything trying to keep it so that when Minnie would get home she'd never find out about it which <laughs> I don't know if she ever did or not but oh my gosh yeah no that was fun now no we used to do a lot of wrestling and playing we had a good time together so yeah and then oh, when we yeah. well when we ended up uh, in churches nearby there we uh, uh you know I was just on the mainland I, I could see the ferry going from my my living room window to Deer Island, and uh, we, you and I, uh, worked together on the on the summer camps. So we used to do was it two camps or three camps back then? I can't. I think it was two camps. Well, it would have been two then, but uh, that was a time I remember. One of them was uh, an awful trying time there because we, you and I, were on to dean the senior camp. Then, uh, so we'd spend we were going to spend all the previous week to prepare for senior camp. Well, it ended up yeah. twenty four hours before the junior camp that the one who was going to do that that his uh, father or father in law had died so we had 24 hours notice to yeah. prepare for junior camp so that was a time that we were uh, we ended up doing well, both of them yeah well we between andy and i we'd have been probably 20 minutes ahead of the campers at any time there when yeah. one was preparing a lesson the other was getting games ready or yeah or, or vice versa or so and uh, so so just worn out and uh, then the second week was about the same because we we had no time to prepare for that in advance and that was a, I think that second week was one where it was about 100 degree <clears> temperatures <throat> there and of course Andy you with the red hair and oh, everything and I was you fine. were really bothered by the heat and could hardly move and and I don't know if that was the year that we had a number to help us who all came down with the flu and deserted us beforehand or not but yeah. but it was some Interesting times, anyway. Yeah, well, well, well uh, I can remember that. Well, see, that first year that you you were down there, um, I think I did. I think when I moved over there, you came shortly afterwards. Yeah, I, I think you and I did two camps all the years you're there. You were what three years there at the church at Lord's Cove, 
And I would did. have been there the summer of 90 and 91 and 92. Yeah, well, see, I, I went, I only went to Latite in 1990. And uh, because I don't remember, uh, like, I, I don't, uh, I didn't work with anybody else at camp uh, before you. Uh, when I went into that nope. ministry, it was after you. And I think we did three summers together. So we did six camps. You were, you, it was just you and I. And uh, I remember, yeah. I remember uh, we didn't have a lot of volunteers at the time, but uh, after that things started to really move and a lot of volunteers started to come. But with one year, it was just you and I out there most of the week. We had 67 kids at one of the camps there too. And uh, boy, oh, we God. had our hands, it was a great time, but, uh, but boy, we and had our hands. I think full. that was probably the year that we had five or six people lined up to help and everyone came down with the flu beforehand and yeah. and weren't able to come yeah oh yeah no it was good times so, uh right uh, the camp there uh, out on the point on deer island uh, right on the bay of fun day and and straight across the shore that would be uh what would you be looking at from the camp there that would be St. Andrews. In fact, from the yeah. camp, you can see the red roof of the Algonquin looking yeah, straight yeah. across. Yeah, that's right. Or at least up to your, to the right there, to the northern, northwest, I guess it would be, and down the opposite direction, you'd be looking at the Perry Shore down towards Eastport and Eastport, Maine. down that area. Yeah. 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 You can see right across the border there. Anyway, it's a beautiful view anyway. So no, I appreciate you, Gordon. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you get on this. This helped pass some time today anyway. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, yeah, no. So, oh, I, mean, I guess I, I never, I was going to ask you and I forgot, uh, uh, just kind of coming full circle. Uh, you have a son that ended up going to the same college that you and I went to. Yes, my son, Stephen, he, he's gone there and it's, uh, uh, just finishing up the last of his assignments, I think now and everything. And he uh, he's he's not employed full time in ministry, but he's working with Maritime Christian College in the, in a maintenance department there. And then he uh, also does work in ministry at uh, uh, Cornwall Christian Church. There, supply preaches there quite a bit as on their music ministry <clears throat> team and everything. And yeah, no, that's great. No, I know I had two two of my young fellows. I had one, uh, my oldest son. He went to MCC for a year, and um, and my second son went for half a year as well. So the school kind of came full circle for your family and my family too. Great experience. We had uh, great teachers, you know, godly teachers, people, I tell you, they knew the word of God inside out and upside down and Hebrew languages and Greek languages. We learn, we learn stuff. uh, We never thought we, we never even thought you could, you could know. Uh, Great, great time. Well, that's right. And now, like again, uh, Mr. Norris or Ken Norris, he, (laughs) he was a man I had a lot of respect for. He, I mean, the way I've described him to different ones is when it comes to being a professor, he was probably the most unprofessional of anyone you'd ever get. And I and I don't mean that in a negative way or as an insult, because I have a lot of respect for no, him. But, no. but they, they like any, any exegetical course of the Bible we'd ever take, we'd never get more than halfway through it, because if somebody would, would raise their hand with a question, he would just close the book and start on a whole new lesson. It could have been the first yeah. verse of Genesis or the last book of Revelation or anything in between. And, yeah. and uh, he would just start on a new lesson right off the top of his head and uh, and just failed with scripture and and in many ways like I say from a professional point of view it was probably terrible because you didn't cover all the material you were supposed to but those side trips he would take us on I would have got far more from oh yeah uh, biblically than probably what we were supposed to be looking at yeah the the depth the depth of knowledge you know he he would ask a question like you say and and uh, he just would no notes in front of him at all and he could go on for a half an hour and tell you the technical stuff and in the Greek and, and when and I think he's like at one point he studied with some Jesuits and stuff there he often talked about that and I mean he he was no slouch no he wasn't no no and uh, and and he let he went into ministry during the Great Depression you remember him saying that he had a he was a president oh, yeah. of an oil company or something 
Oh, I don't remember on that. Yeah, there, there, there was something. He had a big, big, fancy paying job during during the Depression, and he left that job to, to go and train for ministry. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, there, there's, there's something happened in his life, and he got called to it, and you got called to it, I got called to it, and <laughs> here we are today, eh? Oh, for sure. <clears throat> Yeah, well, Gordon, uh, you you uh, um, were were gracious to give us some time today. Um, I sure appreciate you doing that. Anyways, we're going to just close out and uh, listen to our our outro music. So, thank you everyone for tuning in today and helping us to survive the apocalypse of uh, COVID nineteen twenty twenty here. And uh, we 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 uh, got an hour of entertainment out of it, if nothing else. So, yeah, we catch us all on, on the flip side there. Rabbi Shammai was approached by a guy who's asking the exact same question. And nobody tells the story that the Talmud says that next, Shammai beats the man with a stick. <laughs> what circumcision? <laughs> yeah, first time I asked mom it? what a virgin was, and all the adults in the kitchen yeah. went silent. But what kind but, of surgeon? Uh, a rocket surgeon. Very excited about that. <laughs> We want you to be our rabbi. Well, okay. Rabbi Herding. Jesus told me I'm not to insist that men call me rabbi. Oh, okay. Are you still here? You must be a real sucker for punishment. Thank you for listening to the Invisible Humanitarian podcast today. Check out our website at theinvisiblehumanitarian.ca or check us out on our Facebook page. Please subscribe to us and leave us a good rating on your favorite podcast subscriber. And please, whatever you do, tell all your crazy friends about this podcast. 